You're listening to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life with Dan Simon. And one last piece quickly on that, because I think yes. this is very important. We get hung up on to, to do something really big. You know, one of the things that came up when having to think about my stories with Bo Eason's personal story power was that he says, the more personal you make it, the more universal it becomes. It doesn't matter how seemingly unimportant it is. It can be very powerful. And I think, you know, we all want to write the great novel. We all want to create something, you know, huge, but it isn't necessarily about that. And, and when we get hung up on that, we stop living our lives um, mindfully and, and just be content with the small, the ripple effect that we can create, right? I think anything in life, how badly do you want it? How badly do you want to step out of that fear and just um, make changes? And I'm sure you run into this with your coaching just as I do. There's a lot of people who want change, but not very many who are willing to actually do it because, or do the steps or take the steps necessary because ultimately um, a lot of people stay... That, yeah, because even though they hate where they're at, it's familiar. There are so many things to give a fuck about that you really ultimately, you got to choose. you got to choose what's worth and get on with life. Live your life. Welcome to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life, a podcast about people's personal journeys of discovery and recreation. I'm Dan Simon. We dig deep to understand the essence of each guest. How did they get to this point in their life? We all have stories to tell about our own lives that help the rest of us realize who we are and what we could become. As a life coach, I've always been intrigued by the stories people tell. What were the trials, tragedies, and triumphs they encountered while navigating through life? There are no mistakes in life, only experiences and lots of contrast. If we can have compassion, for others, can't we have the same for ourselves? That's always been my personal mission, to remind people the truth of who they are, to remind them that they've done their very best. In each episode, that's what you'll find, a beautiful soul doing their best to create a life that's fulfilling and rewarding. On today's show, we meet Fran Keogh, a lovely Brit from Farnsborough, Hampshire, a little bit northwest of London, who emigrated to the U.S. way back in 1977. As we rewind Fran's life, you will appreciate a lot of wisdom gained from her experiences. She raised four beautiful children, started an alpaca farm, turned her marriage around in her 50s, and today has a successful coaching practice where she helps visionary women 50-plus find their voice in a life and a work that they love. We hear about some of the scariest things she's ever done, and most importantly, how she learned to leverage her own personal power to deal with her stuff. Because when you do that, the rest of the world might just pick up on your energy and change a bit themselves. And she's had quite an influence on the people around her. So let's dive right in and enjoy the show. Fran, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here, Dan. Thanks for inviting me. You are welcome. Uh, let's start with 20 or so questions just to kind of do a little bit of a little bit of a warm-up, uh, Fran. Uh, sugar or spice? Spice. Naughty or nice? Mm, do I have to pick one? <laughs> Naughty. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Gelato or sorbet? 
Mmm, sorbet. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Driving or flying? Driving. Driver or passenger? Mmm, both. <laughs> Sorry. It depends. Sometimes one or the other. Okay. Night owl or early bird? More of an early bird lately. That changed in your life? Yes. What caused the change, do you know? Uh, just a desire to get to bed a little earlier and not to be so connected to stuff late. You know, I, I, I do tend to be more of a morning person now. I think some of it's just a, maybe an aging thing, just a shift. Although there is a lot of pre genetic predisposition. There are some people that are, that are just genetically disposed to go to bed late and get up late. Oh, yeah. I have a daughter like that. And it's, it's very hard to change that if you're uh, mm -hmm. disposed that way. No, I'm, more uh, of an, I'm, I'm more of a morning person. Dogs or cats? I like both. I'm one of those weird people, but I've had more cats in my life. Okay. Lions or tigers? Tigers. They're more interesting looking. Creative or analytical? Creative. Exercise or sleep? Both. <laughs> They're so important, both of them. Sleep or work? Work. Most difficult emotion? Hmm. Most difficult emotion for me to deal with? Yes. Of my own emotions? Yes. I don't have any. <laughs> I'm sorry I had to say that. <laughs> um, you don't have any difficult ones or you don't have any emotions? No, I have lots of emotions, but I don't really have any that I can't deal with. Um, okay. I would, yeah, I would say probably um, dealing, dealing with people who have blind ignorance has been something that my, the feelings I get from that are very hard for me to process sometimes. What would the feeling, what would the emotion be attached to that? Anger, frustration, you know. Um, pain, emotional pain. When I see when I see abuse of power coupled with blind ignorance, I get I I, I feel frustration, angry, and defiance. Well, you must be having a field day then. Oh yeah. <laughs> not that we'll get into politics right now. No, no, not that we will go down that path. There's plenty to select from. Um, biggest fear of leaving this life too early. No, I'm not even sure that's, a, I, I, I don't want to, I want to be able to contribute and I hate the idea of having to go before I <laughs> reach that point of where I really feel like I'm ready to. I don't want to leave too early. How's that? Fear of leaving too early. Not afraid of death, but you're going to wait till you're ready. I, yeah, think, kind of. I think you should wait till you're ready. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. That's your choice. Yeah. Um, are you more fearful of heights or being trapped in a tunnel underground? Probably tra trapped in a tunnel underground. Oh, that, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you about my rappelling off a 350-foot building in downtown Cincinnati last year, if you want to ask about that one again. Go ahead. Tell me about that. Yeah. Oh, now? Yeah. Oh, um, it's part of my one of my talks that I give, and I, I bring in the piece about hanging off a, in the in the height of the heat of July in downtown Cincinnati, three foot, three hundred and fifty foot building, and you know I say 
you know, why did I do it? Not because I'm insane, uh, but because, well, first of all, on the surface, it was for charity. It was for raising money for um, children, which uh, to me is one of the most important things to raise money for. Um, but beyond that, there was the, the thing of, you know, I'm 60, I was then 67 and it never repelled in my life before. I'm, I don't, I don't have an, an, you know, an abnormal fear of heights, but I'm certainly not very comfortable, um, with certain heights, obviously. Uh, but it just seemed like something I should do and just to challenge myself. And I was fine with it until it got to be a couple of days beforehand. And it was, I just couldn't, I nearly stepped out of it. I nearly said, I'm not going to do this because it was too overwhelming, the idea of stepping off of that building. But I, I did it anyway, because I know that everything we ever wanted is on the other side of fear. And I needed to walk, <laughs> no pun intended, I needed to walk my talk. And um, so very interesting. that's why I did it. I, I love these yeah. kind of stories. So let's back up a second. How long between the time you decided you were going to do it? How much time elapsed till the actual? Uh, Several uh, months because we had to raise a, a minimum of $1,000. So um, I raised a thousand, otherwise we wouldn't have been able to do it. So I did my fundraiser. So it was set, yeah, several months. And okay. I was okay with it until a few days before. So when you, when you made the decision, did you have a little bit of nervousness or you thought that'll be fine? A little bit, sure. Um, and then I think I got really nervous when somebody told me, oh, you know, when you repel like that, you have to lean back. So you step off and you lean way back. And I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. I've got to, it's like, you know, when that, that game sometimes we play with, with children, you know, trust me, the trust me game, lean yeah. backwards and I'll catch yeah. you. Yeah. That, was, that was what that felt like. And I'm thinking... And even though I, my head was completely comfortable with all the, um, I, I knew that it was going to be safe in terms of the equipment. I was, I was confident about that, but there was still that fear of the unknown and that just that. Well, the log I, it's interesting, yeah. the logical uh, decision, the, the analysis is going to be safe is really completely irrelevant yeah. to the fear your reptilian brain has that because it's. Right the natural, there's a natural fear of falling. The only fears we're born with is falling from falling and the loud noises. So right. it's instinctual. So, uh, and so I, I did a, go to a climbing wall a couple of days beforehand just to kind of get a bit of a sense. And then I found climbed, out that you didn't you climbed, have to lean backwards. Had so. you climbed before? Uh, no, I've scrambled over lots of rocks on the by the ocean many times, but not really climb climbed. No. So it was a couple of days before where you started getting the nervousness welling up in you. Is that right? Two or three. Actually, days to be honest, I think when I think back now, it was probably a week or two before I was the the event date. Somebody said to me about the leaning back piece, and that made me very apprehensive. Then I went to a climbing wall a couple of days beforehand and found out that that actually would not be the case. But I still, I was still struggling with it. But I went anyway. And I went up to the to the top. Okay, so hang, hang on a sec, because I'm very curious. Oh, sorry. And I don't want to go too fast, because I'm real curious about the process of the fear that was you were dealing with. Did, okay. 
did you do anything else in terms of addressing the fear as time came up to the jump besides besides the climbing wall and did the climbing wall did that well, any of the fear at all? Yes, it helped. Um, but I think a bigger piece too is the fact that I was then told, no, you don't actually lean out. You don't lean backwards. You're sitting at right angles. You're, you're actually f- sitting upright, facing the wall, and your feet will have contact with the wall as you descend. And I knew that I was going to be, they, gave, they give you on, on, on-site training with the equipment, and you control the speed that you go down. So that helped. So doing some of the practical pieces of actually um, gave, gave me a level of confidence. I, nevertheless, I was still really, really apprehensive when I got to that scaffolding and I was about to step off. So you had a little bit of training. Did a little that bit. help you or did that yes. help you or yes. that make you more nervous? No, no, that helped. Okay. So the day of the event, you showed yes. up and what was, yes. your, what was your level of fear at that point? Um, I had it under control. I was okay. I had my, my team below my, my husband and one of my daughters and a friend were there to cheer me on. And, um, you know, I was nervous for sure, but it's like, I got to do this. And one of the things, Dan, my husband asked me the other day, which was more nerve wracking for you doing your first night dive, scuba diving or, or the rappelling? I said, actually the night dive, because that lasted a lot longer. And because it was complete, the fear of the unknown continued for probably 45, 40 minutes or something. Whereas with, with this, it was literally the first, like maybe first minute and then I was okay. Yeah, that's interesting that nighttime can bring up all kinds of fears. Uh, I haven't, I've done a little scuba diving, but I haven't done anything at night. But uh, that's the fact that it's, that you really can't see anything. I presume you had a torch or something? Um. Sometimes you do, and sometimes they don't. This is quite a few years ago, but I think we had, we did have some kind of flashlight. But jumping into, even though it was Bahamian water uh, that I'd die, you know, been day diving in before, um, and then descending into inky blackness with no sense of whether you're up or down, with, with you don't know what's out there, you can't see anything. And you talk about fear of the unknown. And then we went through a freaking tunnel. I mean, it was like, get me out of here. <laughs> but so I didn't, I didn't do the second dive. But then um, another time we, we went, um, I, I did do another night dive some, uh, maybe it was a year later. And that was a lot better. There was more familiarity with the whole situation. And uh, yeah. But yeah. Re- going back to the stepping off the building, what was really interesting was there was a woman, one of the helpers was standing right there as I was about to step off. And she looked at me and she looked me straight in the eyes and she said, you're going to be fine. And she said, just breathe, which is really funny because that's what I'm always telling people, especially with my yoga training, just pause and breathe. And I just looked at her and I went, I know. <laughs> so she really helped me. She made it, the, the very fact that she looked at me straight in the eyes and just made that connection with me was, um, just kind of gave me that extra little, little piece of confidence. Well, I love that, that 
piece of it because of, of, you know, I have something that resonates very similar. I did a bungee jump in New Zealand in oh. 2010, and I was never so terrified in my life to, to do that. And I've talked about it on the podcast before, so I won't get right. into detail. But um, my jump master is a guy named Sully. And when, uh, you know, when you get to the edge of that platform and you look down at that river 43 meters below that's the last thing in the world you, uh, that I ever wanted to do was to actually do that jump and uh, but the last thing that happened was Sully had his hand on my waistband and he said okay Dan time to let it go let it all go yeah and then yeah. Uh, you know I did something I didn't even know I could do and then I jumped but uh, amazing how one person can have an effect and inspiration mm-hmm. yeah it's it's so true um and Kudos to you. That's not something I will ever do. Bungee jumping is not one of them. I probably won't jump out of a, uh, of an airplane. Jumping off a boat into the water is one thing, but not out of an airplane. But yeah, that that was pretty amazing. And, it, and exactly as I thought, that after I was over the initial fear, now I did not look up and I did not look down for the entire descent. <laughs> you know, You're looking was, in the windows of the building, huh? I'm looking. I'm staring at that building. And I could hear my cheering crowd down below, you know, yay. And uh, so it was, I was so excited that when I got to the bottom, I was so thrilled that I did it. And it was like a sense, and as I'm sure you had with the bungee jumping. And it's such a perfect metaphor and analogy for um, taking those bold steps in our lives and, and being able to know that most of the time what we fear never actually ever happens. Well, and and the other thing that's the the jump changed my entire life. It changed the whole arc of my life for, uh, and this is now um, almost nine years ago that I that I jumped off the bridge. But there's something about facing death, facing that fear, and doing it anyway. That you're doing something you don't want to do. That's that is. It gave me a level of confidence that allowed me to start making decisions in life that were, you know that I had procrastinated about that maybe I'd kicked the can down the road about for a long time. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I had these, 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 uh, this level of confidence to make decisions. So it's, uh, it just goes to show that it's not, and it's not for me, it's not a logical thing. It was just, it changed the way I felt about myself and my level of confidence and beyond anything you could really just explain logically. But uh, uh, that idea of facing uh, the fear and just doing it anyway because either you, you know, we all have examples of things we've faced and we've done and things that we've turned turned and walked away from. And uh, just like you said, you knew this is something you wanted to do, you had to do it, uh, and then you did it. It's a very powerful thing that you, mm-hmm. uh, when, when you take that on. And it's amazing how many people said, oh, how did you do that? I could never do that. And I said, well, you'd be surprised. It's really not that difficult. And it, it really comes down to, I think, anything in life, how badly do you want it? How badly do you want to step out of that fear and just um, make changes? And I'm sure you run into this with your coaching just as I do. There's a lot of people who want change, but not very many who are willing to actually do it because, or do the steps or take the steps necessary because ultimately, um, a lot of people say that, yeah, because even though they hate where they're at, it's familiar. And change means something different, that they don't know what that's going to look like. Yeah, I mean, some cha- the changes that, that people make that have nothing to do with 
you know, physical danger can be far scarier than something like that, but it all kind of correlates. Mm-hmm. But I, I couldn't agree with you more, Fran, that, that yeah, everybody says, I want to change, I want to grow, I want things to be different. But, uh, and that's why, you know, in my mind, coaching is so incredibly valuable for the people that are ready for it. Yeah. Because very few of us can do what we need to do uh, by ourselves with that support. You need to have that support and you need to have those reminders. You need to have somebody inspiring you or, or holding your hand to say it's going to be okay. But given left our own devices, there's just, you've got a lifetime of doing it one way and it's comfortable. And no matter whether you like it or don't like it, right. you, know, you know what the result is going to be. So, yeah, it's very powerful. Yes, completely. Good job, good job going down that building, Fran. Thanks. So where were we on the questions? Well, no, what number were we up to? Oh, we're around 15. Oh, interesting. Uh, tall or short? Hmm. That's a... Uh, I, I don't know. Okay. I've never been asked that question before. Which okay. matters to me, tall or short? It doesn't matter. Okay. Brains or beauty? Brains, but beauty's awfully nice too. <laughs> <laughs> beauty's important, but brains, brain. I, I, you can tell I'm one of those people that I, I, you you stick it, you put me in a, a give me a menu, and I I'm hopeless. Oh, there's so many choices. I like this and I like that. <laughs> so, um, for me to give one answer to a lot of these is really challenging. Um, now, I think I think brains it, obviously as as we age, especially. We lose our classic young looks, but I think there's a beauty that we have, but it comes more from the inside, perhaps, um, through our, hopefully, our wisdom, for those of us that have acquired wisdom, um, you know. So I, I think I love beauty, and I'm not talking about just people, obviously. I'm, I'm talking about nature. And yeah. for me, animals and the environment, that. In that respect, I'd have to say probably beauty. But when it comes to people, not so much. I think brains as in intelligence and especially emotional intelligence. You could have somebody who's um, not classically very attractive, who could be physically unattractive, but if they've got a beautiful emotional intelligence, if they've got a, a wonderful demeanor, I mean, they're beautiful, right? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I think the two are, can, can be... I can. I think it could be a combination. Okay. Well, very good. And you see that I've designed a little choices to be vague and to not say what they're supposed to be about, so that you can be kind of like a Rorschach. Rorschach. Yeah. Right. Um, so good. Introvert or extrovert? Extrovert. And I think we covered this, but I'm gonna. I'll ask it again. Biggest trigger. My biggest trigger. Yeah. Hatred. Big. You know. Bigotry. Um, blind. Ignorance. Yeah, that, that same thing. Uh, that's, that, that's something interesting enough that, can I digress for a moment that it's related or not? Sure, you can digress. Um, it's connected. There was, I, I'm in a program called um, Personal Story Power with Bo Eason. And it's about oh. developing your, are you familiar? Yeah, I know Bo. Uh, oh, awesome. you do? Oh, yeah, I went to his event um, uh, out in La Jolla um, earlier this year, and it was wonderful. It was the best of its kind I'd been to. I've been to three big events, you know, Brendan Burchard and 
uh, Jeff Walker, and this was my favorite, partly because it was so intimate, relatively speaking, with 150 of us in this beautiful new theater. And it, it was um, really wonderful. And one of the things that comes up in this too a lot is, is that um, what is your, what is the one thing that you will just go to the mat for that he doesn't use i'm paraphrasing that you will stick your nose in somebody's chest and you will absolutely just fight for or, or, or you know what is it like you're talking about what is that one emotion and it was really interesting because i was trying to think okay what would it be and there were a number of things that came up but this one keeps coming up that's where i feel um that's where i feel probably one of the strongest negative emotions you know we could talk about positive emotions um, you know, look at my grandchildren and there I get a positive emotion. But um, that is, that's a trigger. And how do you see dealing with that in the future? Do you see that changing? Um, I have no prediction of whether that, that I would react differently. Um, and what I process and get on. So you asked me uh, how I would see that in the future, and I can honestly say I don't know. I do know that the more personal it is, the more I, I'm willing to take action to do something about it. Um, if I saw somebody in the street being treated a certain way, and you know that I, 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 I could not just walk on the other side of the road. I'd have to step in and do something. Um, but I'm good at processing things. So when I feel these emotions, it's like, okay, what good is it to continue feeling that if I don't do something with it? So utilize it, make it work for you. Yeah. And my opinion is a little different because I see the difference between, you know, doing something that's going to help somebody that needs help or asks for help from uh, the fact that there's always lots of contrast out there and there's always tall and short, good and evil, you know, right. smart and stupid, right. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> excuse me, altruistic and, uh, and narcissistic. There's always that, that uh, duality. <laughs> that duality. It's, it's always going to be there. You're never going to erase it. So mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I find it interesting and it does give, uh, it gives context and texture to life and, uh, but we're never going to eradicate it. And sometimes some of these things, the more we think we can fight against it, the more it creates more of it. So I, I You're absolutely right. And actually to that, um, my husband just started reading um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F-U-C-K. Have you heard of that one? Yeah, I've read that book. It's great. Oh, you read it? Yeah, yeah he's Mark, reading it. Mark but, uh, Manson or Mark? Mark Manson, right. Yeah. So I... I um, love the the premise of and i think this speaks to what you just mentioned there are so many things to give a fuck about that you really ultimately you got to choose you got to choose what's worth and get on with life live your life and i don't mean that in a selfish um way but but in in a way of just like you said, you, you, there's certain things that we can change. And I think as we get older, for me anyway, it gets easier um, to be able to say, okay, I don't need to go down that path. I don't need this in my life. 
to be to be more selective about what to give the fuck. Well, because it's in, in the end, the angry you are about things you can't change, the more damage it does to your own body. Mm-hmm. It's really you're the one that is sort of the most the person out there that you're angry at that doesn't really care <laughs> in most cases. Right. And I'm very fortunate because I've never held on to anger. I'm one of those people that I get over it very quickly. Yeah, the power of letting go. It's it's a good skill to have, Fran. Minus 30 degrees or 115 Fahrenheit, of course. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think we'd be here. There's 115. Um, In uh, six sentences, tell us about your life. Oh, in six sentences. Now I haven't had. I didn't see the. <laughs> I didn't see the question. So I didn't. Send, I didn't send you that question. Oh, you didn't. Can they be run on? <laughs> we just need. We need six periods. Number one. That would be of interest. That I was born to a middle-class family in Farnborough, Hampshire, England, and came to this country in 1977. And on my way here, I lived and worked in London. I lived and worked in Strasbourg, France, and also traveled to Africa, to Kenya, and India for a few days only. So it's almost cheat. Um, So traveled a lot of places in Europe. I raised four children and I started an alpaca farm without having any knowledge of raising livestock whatsoever and recouped our investment and made some money and learned an awful lot about business in the process. I had a transformative period in my life in my 50s when I turned my marriage around from the brink of ending and consequently took that as an experience to take into my coaching. I love my work and feel I've reached a point in my life where I can truly give back and leverage my wisdom and experience to help others. Awesome. Thank you. Cool. So tell us about three stories, three events that have had the biggest impact on your life. What comes to mind first for you? I think I would have to say in most, the most recent time would be being the primary caregiver to my aging parents and helping my mother as she went through ovarian cancer stage four at the age of 82 and dealing with my father who during that period became the worst version of himself. So his not so nice traits really showed up. So tell me uh, what was the impact of, of that on your life of going through taking care of your parents and and I always don't know how long that, that well my mother my mother lived for 
essentially two years with the cancer, and then my father lived another two years after that. And at the same time, I was going through a lot of frustration in my second marriage. Um, and so there were a lot of parallels going on and feeling very trapped, frustrated, um, trying to make decisions and changes and so on and getting to a point with my father after my mother died especially um, that I, I just didn't want to have to do anything for him anymore. It was like, I'm done. I'm done with this. I don't want this anymore. But when he became ill, knowing that he was, the, I was really the only one because my sister was living in a, on the other side of the country um, that could really uh, be there for him and being so grateful for the fact that I had two months with him there in a, in a he was in a facility, he was in a, um, uh, assisted living place um, and being able to make my peace with him and being able to tell him that I loved him and that he had been a good father, even though I had some reservations in places, but nobody's perfect. And it, you know, and being, being able to uh, be at peace with that, that was huge because my yeah. father had had, I hadn't sp spoken to his father in, um, he hadn't spoken to his father. Oh, so, well, I, I did. He lived in the same town as. So my grandfather lived in the same town as us. I never even saw him because of the of the anger that my father held for him. So it was like I'm. This generational thing has got to end. I'm stopping it. You know. So to be able to have that opportunity, even though I didn't ask for it, was I think really important and something that I sh I sort of like to share with people. And remind them that if you have the opportunity to change something and stop and make something better in your relationships, do it. And also to be able to do that with my marriage too. That was huge because sometimes it's just, not, you, you know, you the, the piece that came out of it is something that um, Eckhart, um, Eckhart Tolle talks about in The Power of Now. He says, the greatest catalyst for change is when we can accept others without need to change or judge. And that is huge. It doesn't always mean to say you have to stay in a toxic relationship, whether it be with a coworker, whether it be with a, you know, a partner, whatever. But just knowing that they're not going to change because you're trying to make them change is so important. And it's not really our job to make them change. No, just change yourself, deal with, deal with what you need to deal with. And they might just pick up on that energy and change too, which I, I proved to be true. Do you have another story? We've got about five minutes remaining, Fran. Oh, um, shoot. Yeah. Um, another kinda, important story. Yeah. Um, gosh, there's so many of them. Well, I told you two with the night dive and stepping off the building. That's kind of was pretty significant. Yeah, we've covered, we've covered some of those. We've, co we've covered some have, of them too. Have three yeah. of them. And I'm sorry that because I can resonate with your challenge and making choices because there are so many choices. And I know, but it's great. It's, it's good. It's, <laughs> good. it's a good exercise. Um, Who would you say was the greatest positive influence on your life? I think I'd have to say my husband and he'd be probably surprised <laughs> to hear me say that 
but in many ways, yeah. Well, make we, sure he listens to the podcast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, you know, we've been together for 33, 34 years, and we've had certainly our hills and valleys, as all relationships do. Um, but he's helped me to recognize some things about myself. And I honestly have to say, I think he's helped me be a better person. Um, you know, we still have our issues. We still have, we're different people. We, we are emotionally somewhat different, um, but that's okay. So briefly, I'm interested, tell me how you turned things around in your, in, in your fifties. What did you do to, to turn the marriage? Actually, around? it was in, actually it was in my, hell, it was in my sixties, early sixties, actually. And to start a business, um, well, that it was just recognizing, first of all, that despite all my frustrations and trying to change things and, and um, change us uh, as a couple, um, that ultimately it was about changing myself and accepting and letting go. Again, it was that letting go piece. It was like a revelation. And one, one day it was like a portal opened up because I, I knew all along that I, I didn't want what we had, but at the same time, it wasn't out of fear that I was afraid to end things because um, and initially it was because being a woman in her early 60s and not having actually had a job and worked per se, I mean, being an entrepreneur, yes, but for right. many years, it was a bit scary <laughs> to, to think, okay, now what do I do? But once I got past that, it really did become more about we have history together. We have children. We have, um, we have a companionship. We've got a lot of good things in this relationship. Why on earth would I throw it out? And maybe it's just, it's about letting go. And let's, let's just even spend one evening where we're not talking about work and, and kids and um, all our issues, but just be. You know, there's that wonderful piece about sometimes just being. And that's coming up a lot for me now too, it, you know, going back to the what to give a fuck about, you know, it's, it, it's um, live your life. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And a lot of, I think many people will resonate with that idea that because we can get so entangled up with who else is going to change or why I don't like this and, and, you know, who's supposed to make you happy. And you know what, you don't learn to make yourself happy first. Right. Nobody else is going to do it, are they? And I have three daughters and a son, and I, I have to say, to end this, one of my greatest joys is I have such great relationship with all of my children, and I am truly fortunate in that, and, you know, I've not been perfect as a mother. I've made my mistakes, as everybody has, um, but as everybody does, but, oh, my gosh, the, the relationship I have with them is, is um, enormously important to me. and. I don't need to be around them all the time. I don't need to be with them all the time, but just to have those connections and communications with them. And um, I think that and now I see them struggling with some of the things that, and I'm, I'm hoping that I can share enough of that with them that it can shorten the process, that they don't have to wait till their 60s to recognize some of those things. Yeah, and I think the big part of it is sharing your example of who you are more than more than telling them what to do, which is right. an example of what you've created in your life. Um, and I hope that well, they can say at the end, you know, mommy, you were an inspiration to us. I think that's highly likely that they will do that because I think your story has been inspiring and uh, a great example of how to, uh, how to go through life and to decide what's important and what's of value. Right. 
not wasting things that are not of value. So, and one last piece quickly on that, because I think yes. this is very important. We get hung up on to, to do something really big. You know, one of the things that came up when having to think about my stories with Bo Eason's personal story power was that he says, the more personal you make it, the more universal it becomes. It doesn't matter how seemingly unimportant it is. It can be very powerful. And I think, you know, we all want to write the great novel. We all want to create something, you know, huge. But it isn't necessarily about that. And, and when we get hung up on that, we stop living our lives um, mindfully and, and just be content with the small, the ripple effect that we can create, right? Absolutely. It comes down to, always comes down to the personal. It comes down to what's important to you and how you live your life. And all these big things are, uh, they're, they're just accoutrement. They're just add-ons, mm -hmm. but it's, yeah. it starts with you. Yeah. Fran, it was awesome. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank uh, you. It was fun. I enjoyed it. And good luck with all the, the future ones. And I look forward to hearing them. Absolutely. Thank you okay. very much for being with us. Okay. Thanks for listening to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life. If you like today's show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friends. All of that would be greatly appreciated. You can find me at dansimon.co, on Instagram, dansimontv, or Twitter, at dansimontv. Thanks for listening to the show today. New show will be out on Monday. Have a great week.